Welcome to uh, City Light Youth Summer Edition, right? First one of the summer. Um, and what we're going to be doing this summer uh, is we're going to be looking at the hard sayings of Jesus. I had an announcement sheet on here somewhere. Did I have anything I had to do announce, guys? Yeah. Before we go? No. That's going to be at the end. No. Okay, no. No? Okay, cool. So, this summer, what we're going to be studying is we're going to be look, taking a look at the hard sayings of Jesus. Right? The things Jesus said that caused us to pause and stop and just kind of go, wait, what? Right? These, these hard sayings. And there's a lot of different kinds of hard. Okay? And so we're going to look at all the different kinds. So, like, one kind of hard is, I have slides for this, too. The first kind of hard is, like, I don't get that. When Jesus says something and you're just like, wait, what? I don't, I don't, I'm, What? Right? It's like Jesus comes to the crowd and it's like, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't enter the kingdom of God. What? <laughs> like, like you even see this. All the people like heard that and they're like, and I'm out. All right. See so you guys like, yeah. And they all, they all just kind of left right after that. Like many left him because of that. Like, cause we just, there's, that's a hard thing he just said. Another kind of hard thing is, is I don't know what to do with that. This is when Jesus said things, and it's very clear, like, what, what he means. But how we actually play that out is kind of, like, up in the air. Like, when Jesus says, like, it's easier for a camel to fit through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Like, okay, we get it. So it's, camel can't fit through needle, so rich man can't enter the heaven. So wait, what do I do with my stuff, right? And the disciples even feel the weight of that, and they're like... So who's getting in then? Because we all kind of got stuff, man. And then Jesus says, with, with God, all things are possible. Sweet. What do I do with my stuff, though? <laughs> like, we have, like, what do I do with that? It's this different kind of hard saying. And then this third kind of hard saying is just, I don't like that. Jesus, I know what you said. It makes perfect sense. I know what you want me to do. And I don't want to do that. Right? And we've all and we've come across all types of these things all throughout the scriptures, and especially with Jesus. If you haven't encountered Jesus saying things that don't fall into these categories, you haven't met, read much of the scripture. Anybody that spent any time there at all is well aware of these kinds of things. And we're gonna be like hitting all of them throughout this series. We're gonna hit some of we're actually gonna I think gonna hit all the examples that I said and more. And so we're kicking it off. With the best place to start, which is one of Jesus, I think, most famous and most hotly debated things he said, which is from John 14. If you have your Bibles, can you go ahead and turn there? And then if you have your phones, go ahead and turn them on there. Uh, Just as a fun thing for this summer, I want to make a challenge that if you have a Bible, could you bring it? Uh, Some of you have like notebooks too. taking notes is super encouraged. Um, when I, you guys are just going to naturally get way more out of it that way. Uh, I, if there's one thing I've learned in being older than you guys, it's not to trust my brain. Like I will forget anything I just hear. And so, um, as much as we can, let's just try to do that. If you don't have a Bible, talk to John, talk to me, we will give you a Bible. So John 14, Jesus says in verse six, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. And a hush fell over the crowd, right? Because we've all heard people hotly contest this kind of a claim, especially, and, and mostly it's this, that third category of things. Like, 
Jesus, I know what you're saying there. You're the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through you. It's pretty simple. You want to get to the Father, you've got to go through Jesus. Really easy. It's not confusing with what he wants us to do with that. He wants us to just believe this statement. But it all comes with, Jesus, I don't like that you said that. It's not that I don't know what you want me to do with it. It's I don't like what you're implying with it. Uh, In our culture, we have a a kind of a culture that denies these ideas of exclusivity and absolutes, right? What's good for you may not be good for me. And you can't say that that's definitively true. You can't know anything's true. Uh, And and so this is kind of where our culture is at. And so uh, there becomes a lot of questions that fly out of this. Like, so are you saying that... If somebody doesn't believe in Jesus, they just automatically don't get into heaven? Are you saying that Jesus doesn't like people that are different than him? Are you saying that if, that if you're right and everyone else is wrong, that if they find a way that works for them, that they're automatically by default wrong? There's, there's all these, so are you saying that questions that come out of this? And what I want to put forth is that we can only get to those questions through a fundamental misunderstanding of what Jesus is actually saying in this text. We actually, even even in the Christian culture, I think, miss the heart of what Jesus is actually saying when he says these things, right? And that's going to completely change how we hear. So, like, even just context, like, what's going on? This this verse is in the middle of what's called the Upper Room Discourse. Okay, Jesus takes his disciples in the upper room right before he's going to his death. And, and he's telling them like, hey, I'm going to leave here and I'm going to go die on a cross. And the disciples are freaking out. And they're, they're, they're shaking, they're scared, they don't know what's going on. Jesus is talking about going to die. What's, what's with that? We thought you were coming to create this new kingdom. We thought we saw you healing people, healing the blind people, making lame people walk, healing lepers, raising people from the dead. Like this is big stuff. You're you're bringing the kingdom here. Why in the world would you go to your death? This makes no sense. And they were stirred and they were in the verse one says, uh, do not let your hearts be troubled or do not not let your hearts shake. Literally, like they're trembling. Their their hearts are, are trembling within them they're scared of what's going on and it's in this context that jesus says this sentence to hear this jesus says this truth in order to comfort his shaken disciples to hear this sentence and it for it to not be framed in order to provide comfort is to completely miss what jesus is actually saying Jesus said this to comfort his disciples, and so the way we hear this needs to be couched in, this is meant as a comfort to us. So what I'm going to attempt to do tonight is to just reframe our mind on how we approach Jesus' words here. So what we're going to start is with what I think we commonly hear when we hear this saying. Okay, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, I think what we commonly hear is um, Jesus decides the way to God. Jesus decides what is true, and Jesus decides who gets life, right? If you were to pull somebody and say, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, I think this is the answer that most people's minds default to, right? Jesus gets to decide the way to God. Jesus says, I'm the way. Jesus decides the way. Jesus says, I'm the truth. I get to decide what's true. Jesus says, I get to decide who gets life. And, I, and, and I'm not here to argue whether or not any of these are actually true or false. But I, what I am saying is that these completely miss the point altogether of what Jesus is saying. 
All three of these are just completely off of, not even close to what Jesus is actually saying in these passages. And so we need to completely reframe how we think about them in order to get to the heart of this text. So, the first one, we'll look, take a look at them one by one. The first one, Jesus decides the way to God. So you can already see kind of the problem within the phrasing of this statement. There are a lot of assumptions and implications to this statement. Like, you've probably heard it this way, that um, there's so many people proclaiming they know the way to God. How can you say that you know the only way? How, how come there can't be many roads that lead to the same place, many paths up the same mountain? Have you guys heard this, this kind of saying? So, um, why, who are you to say yours is right? Who are you to say that the other paths are wrong? And who is Jesus to say that he's the only way? And with, within these parameters, these are kind of fair arguments. If it's just simply Jesus claiming something's true, who's to say that his claim is better than anybody else's claim? Uh, who, what, to say my way is the right way to God, right? Is that really what Jesus is claiming, though, becomes a question, right? Is Jesus really saying, uh, my, I have the only way to God in time? There's this billboard. I don't know if you guys have seen this. This stupid billboard, okay? It's, it's, it says on it, um, is the road you're on going to lead you back to my place? Signed, God. Have you guys seen this? It's just awful. I, it's just garbage. Because what are you supposed to do with that while you're driving? Right? Are you supposed to? Like, I just picture some guy like, oh, shoot, I'm going south. God's north. I'm just, like, flipping a Yui. Like, or, or is somebody supposed to see and be like, he's right. I need to get it. What? The road I'm on. Where is it headed? Is it going to God's place? Oh, I need to switch Roads? Like, where do you take that if you have no idea of what it looks like to follow God? It's just a garbage billboard. I'm sorry. It's horrible. You get one thing you get to say to oncoming traffic, and it's that. You, get, you paid money to put that on a billboard? Never mind. I'm sorry. I'm going way too long about a billboard. A garbage billboard. So, so to get at what Jesus is saying when he says, I am the way, we're going to have to read the verses in front of it. All right, so... Uh, starting up in the beginning of 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. That word literally is just dwelling places. Okay, the places, like dwelling places, places to be. Um, in my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, would I, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way where I am going, to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? (laughs) How do we know if the road we're on is leading to your house? Uh, Sorry. And Jesus, see, Jesus even responds that this is a garbage billboard, right? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So when Jesus reframes this, Jesus reframes this as, uh, like, like if we just talk, where's Jesus talking about going to? If Jesus is the way, what's he the way to? So you see in, in verse 2, his, my, my Father's house has many dwelling places. Like, or uh, in verse 7, no one gets to the Father except through me. So... I would even put forth that Jesus, like the emphasis here is not where are we going, 
Right? That's the most common question we would hear with this is, like, what, where, where am I going when I die? Where do I go? The point Jesus is trying to make is less about where you're going and much more about being in the presence of God. It's less about where you're going. Who are you going to? They're not asking, where, where am I going when I die? It's, what's going to happen when I'm in the presence of God? Right? And what we see through Scripture is when people get in the presence of God, they just kind of fall in their place, face and think, like, I shouldn't be here, right? But So they're going to be with God. And Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to make that place. Now, if you're, you're like me, my first instinct was to picture Jesus with a hammer. Right? Like, like Jesus is up there just banging out a room for me. You're like, I'm not ready! Wait longer! And then, like, another guy gets saved. He's like, oh, you're kidding me. I got more to do. Like, that's not at all what Jesus is implying in this. Jesus isn't some construction worker up in heaven trying to make a room for you. Right? Jesus is going to prepare a place for you. And where did Jesus just tell them he was going to go? I said it earlier. He just told them, I'm going to the cross. Like, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm going to the cross. Where is, like... In a couple of, just a couple of verses earlier, like I'm going to die on a cross in a couple days. Jesus, when Jesus says he's going in order to prepare a place for us, he's implying what I am doing, where I am going, is going to secure that spot by, with God for you. So when Jesus says, I'm, I'm going to prepare a place for you, it is the going, Jesus going to the cross, that prepares The place for us. The cross makes a way for us to enter into the presence of God. This is very different than just get me to heaven. So my daughter actually shifted my whole paradigm on how I view this. Uh, Many of you have probably heard this because it just really was groundbreaking to me. So I've got a six-year-old. If you're trying to explain theology to a six-year-old, you really have to know theology. Right, So it's, it's just maddening because the questions she asks are so good and I don't have enough answers for her. But we're talking about this idea of holiness. Like how do you explain holiness to a six-year-old? Like it's, it's hard. And so I'm explaining that, that holiness is this complete like utter perfection that's completely different uh, that God has that we don't. God is unique and special, and we are not, and that's why we can't enter into the presence of God. Like, he is holy, perfect, blameless, completely not what we are. And therefore, we can't exist in his presence. And and so she's starting to feel the weight of the holiness, and I'm like, but Jesus, Jesus promises to make us holy. And then I I talk about, like, when Jesus reached out to people that were unclean, what, what happened? Did, the, did he become unclean? No, his holiness spread to them and they became holy. And this, this, this image of anything Jesus touches kind of becomes holy and separate, different as well. And so without missing a beat, she just goes to me, oh, so if Jesus touches me, I get to be as close to God as I want. Let's pray, <laughs> right? Oh my gosh, like... Yes, you, you get it. It's, it's not about like, I got to get these magic words or pray this magic prayer like incantation to get me into heaven. Like then I can hang out on the back wall. Like maybe God won't notice I'm there. But no, no, no. Like he makes us holy. So we get to march. We, get to, we have a place with God. We get to be as close to God as we want. 
So you can see why this is fundamentally, fundamentally important for understanding Jesus' statement here. Right? The, it, it's not a problem with logic. If you go back to Jesus decides the way to God, like, it's, it's not a problem with the logic. It's just the, all the assumptions. Like, Jesus decides, like, the way. Like, I choose. But rather, it completely changes to Jesus makes a way to God. Like, we are fundamentally separated from God. There is no, like, it's not like Jesus decides which is a good way and which is a bad way. Like, no, no, we're, we're separated. We're completely utter, different from God, not allowed into his presence. And Jesus is like, no, 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 I'm going to make a way for you to get there. I'm going to prepare a place. I'm going to make sure this happens. Jesus isn't just arbitrarily deciding this is the way you've got to go. Jesus is making a way for us to God. So this entire framing of all paths to get to heaven is flawed. The pro- it, it's not about what path gets you to God. It's this problem that needs to be overcome. Jesus isn't some trailblazer like hacking through the wilderness. Follow me and I'll get you where you want to go. Jesus is, is the Savior that's come to save us from our rebellion and the consequences of our rebellion. To do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves, to overcome the consequences of rebellion, giving us access to the presence of God. Jesus doesn't want to show us the way to God. Jesus is the way to God. Right? So if we just stop and breathe, we can see why this is a comfort. Followers of Jesus don't need to live some flawless life or know some secret passcode. We don't need to live generously enough or observe particular rituals. Jesus himself is going in this text to make a place for us. He gives us access to the presence of God and he promises that he himself will bring us into the presence of God. He's going to return to do that. And Jesus always keeps his promises. This is what he means when Jesus says, I am the way. You guys good? Feel comforted by that? Point two, I think the cultural, cultural norms, the thing that Jesus just simply decides what is true, right? Again, the assumptions behind this statement are really thick, particularly in a world where absolute truth is not widely accepted. Uh, what's true for you might not be true for me. What you think is true and what I think is true may be at odds. And so maybe you're wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're right. Maybe I'm right. Maybe we're both wrong. Maybe we're both right. And I like that one, right? Because that means we all win and it's fun and fluffy, right? This is kind of the cultural norm. And as badly as I want to argue the absurdity of a lack of absolute truth, Jesus isn't making a value call on what's true for you and what's true for me in this statement. That's missing the point. There are lots of scriptures that talk about God being the one who gets to decide what's true. But that's not what Jesus is doing in this passage. To see what Jesus is claiming, we must look at the verses following. Let's look at the verses following what he said. So we'll start in verse 6. But Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known the Father also. From now on, you do know him and you've seen him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and that's enough for us. Which... The disciples are just not getting it at this point, right? I feel so confident not getting it. So this is hard for them too, right? So yeah, Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and still you do not know me, Philip? 
Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? So the way Jesus frames this is not simply like Jesus arbitrarily saying, this is true, this is not true. Jesus is not making a value call on what's true here. He's taking another step back from what's true for my life and asking, how do we know what's true about God? Because this is a much bigger question at hand. Because I'm willing to argue that what you believe about God or who you believe God to be actually frames every other part of your life. If God were different, you would be different. Like it is the fundamental truth about you. I think it's A.W. Tozer that says like what you think about when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Right. That's huge because what how we know who God is is going to shape the way we see the world, the way we interact with people, the way we view ourselves. We must talk about what's true of him. And Jesus says what's true of God to know that is what's true of me. Jesus claimed to be the representative for God. Like, if you want to know what God is like, if you want to see God, look to Jesus. Jesus perfectly embodies who God is. So, like, if you're wondering, uh, what, what, what is God, does God care about me? Well, let's, let's look at Jesus. Did Jesus care about the crowd? Yeah, he looked at them with compassion, like sheep without a shepherd. He longed to, like a mother hen, gather him under his wings. Like, how cute is that? But... <laughs> does, God, does, does God care about you? How did, how did Jesus treat the down and out? What about, what about when I blow it? What does God feel about me when I blow it? Well, let's look at Jesus. How did, how did Jesus respond to his disciples when they blew it? Oh, he, he welcomed them back in. How does Jesus treat the woman caught in adultery? You don't blow it more than that. Like, you're found out. Oh, man, I don't condemn you. If they don't condemn you, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. Wow, Jesus has compassion. That's God's heart. Jesus is perfectly revealing God's heart. Does God want us to just simply serve him and do whatever he says? No, Jesus came to serve, not to be served, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Does God just want me to obey some sort of moral law code? No, Jesus' fights were all with the guys fulfilling the moral law codes that have missed the point. Like, that's not the heart of God. Jesus reveals the heart of God. See, a lot of times we think about God as this, like, this, the angry guy. And Jesus is at his right hand. He's like, dude, chill, chill, right? We, we got this weird view. But no, no, no. They are fully unified in how they view you and how they view the world around you. Like, Jesus is the full representation of God. Jesus reveals what is true about God. And what is true about God then defines what's true about us. What's true about how we see ourselves. What's true about how we see and interact with the world around us. Which is true about how we view and relate to other people around us. Jesus revealing God reveals fully what's true about the world because he is God. He's the perfect representation of God. Jesus reveals what is true would be the next point. We cannot afford to be a people that make up a God we want to follow. Like, I like this thing over here. Let's erase this thing over here. Let's switch these things up and maybe leave this out. And all under the guise of like, well, who's to say what God is? Like, we don't have some arbitrary nebulous God that we follow. We have a revealed God 
in Jesus. We must be people who long to know the true God more and more each day because that's going to make us have a truer picture of the world around us and how we interact with it. Right? And we do this by looking to Jesus. We must be people that long to see the world around us, see ourselves, see the relationships around us, the way God sees them so that we can interact with them properly. So stop again. How is this a comfort? How is, how is Jesus fully revealing God meant to comfort his disciples in this moment? You see, we're not a people guessing what God's like. And it's not simply like God says, I'm a loving God. And we just think, okay, so he must be loving. No, Jesus has demonstrated to them. He has shown that when God takes on flesh and steps into this world, he embodies love fully. That's how we know we serve a loving God. And the, the, the weight of this is Jesus saying, like, I've revealed, you know me. This is what he said right, right earlier. Believe in God, believe also in me. You know me. You've come to trust me. And, those, and Christians in the room, you, you've come to trust and know Jesus. You can be assured that just as you've come to trust me, you can trust God. You can trust that this plan is good, that you are secure with me, and that when I say I'm going to prepare a place for you again, I'm not lying. I'm revealing the truth of the way things are. I'm revealing the heart of what God's at work doing. You can be assured that Jesus' promise to bring us into the presence of the Father is, in fact, true. So good. Comforted again? Okay, the third point. The third cultural thing is like Jesus decides who gets life. Right? And you, you get the idea with these, what we've been doing, right? There's these assumptions behind them. Uh, that automatically completely frame the question in a way that just kind of sets you at at odds with it. The assumption here is that Christians believe that Jesus is up in heaven with some sort of like long line leading up to heaven's gates where he decides who gets in and who doesn't, right? Which is honestly sounds awful. Like I just died and the first thing I have to do is wait in line. Like that's awful, right? (laughs) Which I guess what purgatory is, right? But no, sorry. Right? We, we have this image of Jesus, or sometimes Peter for some reason, standing there with this like lever where he's like, John, go ahead. James, sure. Victoria, yes. Dustin, and then like the clouds open up and the person like falls. Like, <laughs> and then the next person's like, like you can go. <laughs> Line's not so bad anymore, right? Like we have this image. Jesus just decides who's in, who's out, and then that's just it. You can't argue with him because he's got the lever. Right? Or do I need to, or is he some sort of cosmic bully? Like when he says, you want to get to God, you got to come through me. (laughs) (laughs) Right? If you do these things or don't do these things, if you say this password or pray this secret prayer, you're in. Right? And that's just foreign to what Jesus is talking about here. Once again, we have to take a couple steps back and ask, what's Jesus talking about? When he says life, namely when he says, I am the life. Uh, Today we tend to think of life as something we possess, right? You have a life. You you like own this life, right? We talk about having life or when when somebody dies or is is murdered specifically, like I I took his life. Like like it's something you possess that somebody took from you, right? Um, This subtle thought pattern is actually the backdrop of what makes Jesus' lever seem so harsh. It's you had this life, and Jesus decides, I'm taking it from you. 
Like, that's mine now. You're, you're done with it, right? But that's actually not how the Bible, especially John, who's actually writing this, talks about life at all throughout this whole book. Like, so I'm just going to do, rather than, I'm going to machine gun approach it here. I'm just going to read you a bunch of statements of, from John, just this book, on, on life and things Jesus said about life. Well, first is John 1, verse 4, which is talking about Jesus. It says, in him, that's Jesus, was life, and that life was the light of men. The most famous verse, John three sixteen: For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. John five twenty one: For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life, to whom he wishes. John 5:26 For as the Father has life in himself, so also he has granted the Son to have life in himself. John 5:39-40 You pour over the scriptures. This is Jesus talking to the religious leaders. You pour over the scriptures because you presume by them you possess eternal life. So it's something you already possess. But these are the very words that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you will have life. Once again, Jesus spoke to the people saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness and I will give him the light of life. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it in all its fullness. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. So this picture of life that's being built out here has almost nothing to do with your mortal body. Like you'll live even though you die. You think you possess eternal life now, but if you would come to me, then you would gain life now. You don't have life even though you're living. Like there's this weird play where Jesus is talking about much, something much different than do you keep living once you die? That is not how John or Jesus is talking about life in this verse. He's talking actually instead about a very different type of life. This abundant life that he talks about here, a much truer life. This type of life that transcends your mortal body, that even in death, we're secure in him, in, with him in God. We're entering in this new reality. We're entering in, so like entering, or entering into a new relationship with God brings us a completely different type of life. So if, if I had to like sum it down, like when he says, I have come that you may have life and have it in all its fullness. First off, Jesus had to come to give us this life. It's not something we already possessed. We were without life, completely unable to gain life. And Jesus looked and stepped into that situation to give us a abundant life, a life to the fullest, a different type of life, which is namely life with God. This is the type of life that is fully impossible without Jesus. Without Jesus, there is no life with God. We are arbitrarily walking around in our life with no hope of stumbling upon life as it's meant to be lived. Either now or in eternity. And Jesus says, like, I've come to offer you life to the fullest. I've come to show you the way this life was meant to be lived. Namely, union with God, that, when, that there's somebody there to care for you. 
There's somebody there to guide you, to indwell you, to lead you, to help you to grow, to experience things that you're meant to experience as you're meant to experience them. Jesus is offering a very different type of life. So rather than thinking Jesus just simply decides who gets life, point three should, would rather be Jesus offers true life. So I want to take – now, I, I, before I move on and kind of close this down, I do want to talk about that last little section that says uh, here, that I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So I do want to talk about exclusivity because it's in the passage, right? There's no getting around it. Like who goes to heaven except – apart from Jesus? No one. That is about as exclusive as it comes, right? There's this exclusivity to it. And, and I would argue that this exclusivity cannot be seen as something uh, uh, heavy-handed or, or wrong, right? It's not about being um, – sorry, I lost my place. No one gets to the Father except through Jesus. Like we, we end up getting this picture like Jesus is some sort of toll road, toll road officer, like if you pay the toll, you get through. Or some sort of like bodyguard. Like you want to get to God, you got to come through me. You got to say the right things, do the right things. But the exclusivity here is much more like we're in danger for our lives, and there's only one way out. Like I was talking to Parker about firemen today, so I'm going to use that as an example. Like this idea that I'm in this trapped in this burning building. John set this room on fire. He's burning this thing to the ground. And, and we're, we're trapped inside. Okay, we've got no hope of escape. We don't know what we're doing. I'm, I'm kind of pacing a little bit as if that's going to help. I'm going to get down on all fours so the smoke gets to me later, I guess. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. And some fireman comes in and is like, there's, a, there's one way out. I'm not going to respond with, how dare you? How narrow-minded are you that you think? That there is only one way out of this building. I will find my own way. Are you saying that if I, that I can't find another way that works for me? No. It, like, the exclusive, exclusivity is because there, the, he's, he's there. He's making a way. Like, we have to go further with that. Like, it, it's not the fireman saying, I know a way out. It's like, hey, there's one way out. And it's if I sacrifice myself to get you guys out. If I don't sacrifice myself, we're all dead. So I'm going to sacrifice myself in order to get you guys out alive. Right? We, we don't see this exclusivity, this exclusive statement anymore. Like how dare he think that he has to be the one to save me by dying for me in order that I may... Like, exclusivity has nothing to do with it. This is the most gracious thing. We were stuck and trapped and hopeless. And Jesus entered in and provided a way. Sure, it's exclusive. There's only one way. Jesus even himself prayed this. Father, before I go to the cross, I just want to check with you. Is there any other way? But knowing there wasn't, he fully knew what was before him and faced the cross. Knowing there was no other way. And, so we, and then we can't talk about the exclusivity of this statement without also including the inclusivity of it. Right? Because while there is only one way to God, Jesus made a way. One, in himself. Jesus is the way. All are invited to this way. There is no um, right family you need to be born into. 
There's no specific race, no specific culture, no specific country you need to live in. There's not this specific life you had to live leading up to this, cultural practices you have to keep, no moral bare minimum that you have to, have to possess, no ritual offering. Like, like none of that is a factor. There's nothing you could have done previously that completely bl- has blown it so there's no more change. Like all are welcome. Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and I will give you rest. Jesus said, come. Like, like it's everybody. So while sure, you you can, like, there is the exclusivity piece. There's one way. But this is also the most inclusive statement that that anybody that comes in, anybody, the offer's out there, anybody can have a way to God. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way to the Father except through me. Come. We must hear this as a comfort. When Jesus is talking to his disciples, he's like, you guys, don't, don't worry. It's not about finding the right road that's going to get you to God. You guys are going to see that billboard. You're going to know what I'm talking about. It's not about getting on the right road that's going to get you into heaven. I made a way. I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to return and take you. I am the way. I am the truth that reveals God. I, you, can, you can believe my truth. I, I am the life. I provide life for you now and forever. All this is found in me. The offer is open. Come. And the way, the truth, and the life. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for um, revealing yourself to us. That we don't just have to take you as your word, but instead we can look at what you have demonstrated to us. You sent your son, that Jesus fully embodying your heart, fully revealing what you're about, what you're after. And how much you love us went to the cross, willingly died, sacrificed himself in our place to pay for the consequences of our rebellion to make a place for us in you. That your scripture says that we have found that our life is hidden in Christ with God and that when he appears, we will appear with him in glory. That we have this guarantee, this promise That what Jesus says is true, that he backed it up by raising again from the dead, that the Lord, you have made a way. Lord, let us hear this as beautiful news. Let us hear this as a comfort. As we get shaken throughout our lives, Lord, um, let us rest in what you've revealed to us and how you've revealed yourself to us here. In Jesus' name, amen. So, a couple questions for your tables. Here's what I want us to talk about. In what ways are Jesus' words a comfort to you personally? Like how do you how, do, how does this hit you? And your anxiety this week, your doubts that you're wrestling with, like how do, how do these actually bear their weight on you? What does that look like for you? And then two, in what ways might your relationship with Jesus need to grow? He's offering us relationship with God in Him. Like, how, how can we grow in our, in our affections for Jesus and our love for Jesus? Even in our knowledge of Jesus? How, what, what does that look like? And so let's just take a few minutes to talk about these. And then Melanie will come here, do a song, do some announcements, and then we'll hang out some more. Does that sound good?